Three, two, one, execute. Life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. Today's interview is with Greg Marshall, CEO at Olivantage, a multi-state insurance brokerage headquartered in California and serves business owners and families in Minnesota, Virginia, Nevada, Florida, Texas, and California. Greg's website is olivantage.com, and that's A-L-L-I-V-A-N-T-A-G-E.com. Now I want to welcome Greg Marshall to the 321 Biz Development Podcast. How are you doing, Greg? Okay. Well, thanks, Rick. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful uh, Monday morning, ready to start the week off right, and I'm glad to be a guest today. Okay, fantastic. And thanks for uh, being a guest. Hey, Greg, it's a tradition on the 321 Biz Development Podcast for our guests to tell our listeners about themselves, such as where where are they from, what colleges, trade schools they attended, uh, what occupations or businesses they worked before their current business that we will discuss today. So please tell us about yourself, Greg. Yes. Well, thank you, Rick. I am from Sacramento. And I attended uh, Sacramento State University and studying electrical engineering. So well, I'll get into this, how I got into the financial part from that. And as much as I thought that would be my calling, though, I opted not to continue toward earning that degree because entrepreneurism was uh, calling my name and is calling it quite loudly. <laughs> and so while on my entrepreneurial path, I still needed to earn income. Okay, so if I'm not going to school, I need to work. I need to make sure that you take, you know, you take care of the money part. Uh, just because you want to be an entrepreneur doesn't mean the money just starts flowing in, right? So during that period, I had taken the Sacramento City Fire Exam, and roughly two years later, I was accepted. And as a firefighter, I was still able to pursue my entrepreneurial path, in which I ventured toward real estate investing. Uh, specifically uh, flipping houses that was, that was my interest so I could kind of take some of the you know all of my uh, I've always been kind of a tinkerer anyway so construction was a perfect fit and then getting into real estate which is how I could earn my money eventually and and of course hopefully earn uh, millions like <laughs> a lot of the books I was reading and so but that is largely how I got into construction since I was going to do a large portion of the work myself I flipped homes while I was still on the fire department up until uh, the time I became married. Uh, but my now former wife <laughs> and I had ventured into our uh, own business arrangement, and uh, which was way different than flipping and all that. And but it was just one of those you know changes and course directions in life that you just take. And in that same process, I had left the fire department at that point. So we had started this business and it required, you know, both of us to leave our respective jobs. And that's how I, you know, not ended up not being on the fire department any longer. And so we'll fast forward. Uh, and once the, um, the marital arrangement ended <laughs> a year later, my involvement in that particular business also ended. And as a result of that, I needed, of course, income once again. And so I went back into construction, uh, but I wasn't in a position at that point uh, to be able to flip homes because, uh, you know, because obviously the financial arrangement, you know, during a divorce is not, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't produce the uh, the income necessary to be able to do that. 
And so I uh, started with handyman work. So I had, I still had the construction, you know, background. And so I was uh, able to get into that line of work. And then shortly thereafter is where I obtained my contractor's license. So you can kind of see how my, where my, how my path is uh, uh, being coursed out here. And so for the next several years, after obtaining uh, my general uh, contractor's license and my electrician's license as well, I worked on, I was able to work on larger projects and mostly uh, remodel, some new construction, but mostly large remodels. So I guess the initial electrical engineering pursuit paid off to a certain degree, uh, but uh, that was kind of how I ventured off into this uh, path, uh, uh, you know, in the construction field. So in 2005 or so, I had joined forces with a construction friend of mine, and we started our own construction company, mainly flipping homes and venturing into custom real estate development and so forth. And unfortunately, you know, in 2008, as we <laughs> probably all uh, have experienced or can uh, identify with, uh, that did abruptly change our arrangement because our partnership had dissolved at that point because of the uh, everything was just crashing around us. Our flips were, were losing those, our developments that we had invested a lot of money in, uh, you know, in 2006 and seven, not knowing that 2008 was going to be as devastating as it was. Well, that ended up changing, uh, of course, my plans as well as it did, I'm sure, a lot of people's plans. Uh, but luckily, though, I was able to continue, even though I was now on my own, uh, I was able to continue working, uh, doing service work, you know, electrical service panels, you know, upgrades and, and still uh, remodels because people, because, you know, the economy was kind of clamped down. It, it enabled people to say, hey, you know, we can't sell, we can't buy. But let's you know take some money out of the market because that's crashing and let's you know you know improve our you know remodel our kitchen or you know bathroom or whatever so that's that enables to keep me uh, afloat despite 2008 uh, uh being as bad as it was so uh, you know of course now with with that uh flipping uh was such a as much as the flipping as much of the financial nature as much as it is construction. So being that it was financial, I was familiar with handling money, uh, looking for the best deals, uh, reinvesting, knowing where to put the profits, etc. And that enabled me to transition comfortably into the financial world, minus the construction part, mainly because I knew I couldn't do construction forever, because obviously it's very physically demanding and I had to look beyond, you know, what's the next step if I'm not able to, you know, swing a hammer and climb a ladder, what do I do? So I started, I didn't actually start at Alavantage yet, but I was in the process of making that transition. And just like me, when I was in that transition mode, many folks have, you know, financial planning concerns in the back of their minds. So Greg, tell me, what was your biggest construction project while you worked as a general contractor and had your construction license and uh, electrician's license? Well, the biggest project was actually in the works, which was one of the projects that one of the developments I was uh, mentioned that we, were, we began in, I think it was 2000, middle of 2006 is when we bought some land and we planned on uh, building some custom homes and of course uh, turning them over uh, so that was probably I think it was like six uh, custom homes excuse me that would have been built in this uh, particular development 
in the Sacramento area, well, outside of Sacramento, but in the general Sacramento area. And that would have been a large project. Uh, and that would have actually been very, very financially rewarding had that materialized. So that was probably the biggest project other than just, uh, you know, some large custom homes. Uh, and I did some commercial work, but mostly residential. And so just, you know, building homes really is the, probably the biggest project, but that was the biggest project that we were really, that would have put us on the map and really put us forward to being able to expand and really get, you know, the traction needed to get into the, you know, the could become, you know, elite custom builders, if you will. But that gotcha. unfortunately, that whole, but everything fell apart in 2008. <laughs> So. Well, here's my here's my next question. So, why did you start Ali Advantage? Many folks have financial planning concerns in the back of their minds, and I certainly did. Uh, you know, when I was doing the construction thing, because it, it's you know one thing to flip a house and you know be able to make some improvements, but you got to know what to do with the money, right? And mm-hmm. so, and I also had to know what to do with my money as well. You know, what is my future? Do I want to work forever? Do I eventually want to retire? So that was in the back of my mind. And so about nine years ago uh, or so, uh, a close friend of mine that was in the financial services industry introduced me to uh, uh, a specific aspect regarding financial planning, specifically in this case, life insurance. Now, he didn't, you know, pitch a bunch of insurance products to me and all that. He spent about 45 minutes, you know, mainly just learning about my existing situation, you know, at the time. And he focused on my ideas about my financial concerns and so forth. And I liked his approach because I didn't, I don't like to be sold things, you know. I like people to ask me, you know, where I'm at. And so, so they know, so I feel that I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, I have, they have my best interest at heart, not their own. And so that experience with him opened my mind to the fact that other people might need the same kind of help and guidance that I received from him. So that's how, you know, fast forward, that's how my firm, uh, Alavantage, and it's the full name is Alavantage Insurance Agency, LLC, but uh, by the, you know, easier to just go out advantage and now at this point in time uh, we primarily work with small business owners and over time I discovered that small business owners do not always have access to advisors or consultants who understand what it takes to run a company and or uh, how one functions especially if you know it's because not all advisors or consultants are necessarily self-employed. Some of them are, you know, employees. So unless you're a business owner, you don't necessarily understand that, you know, aspect. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, dozens of thoughts that small business owners have swirling around in their heads. <clears throat> I mean, financial planning is not always a priority because growing a business consumes a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy. And, you know, they know financial planning is important, but, you know, how it is, life gets in the way and everything else, and and it just doesn't materialize. So, since I used to run a construction company, and I am still self-employed as a broker, I am sensitive to the concerns of a CEO, and I can relate to that mindset. And I know, you know, just like myself at the time, small business owners could use someone that is knowledgeable, neutral, and unbiased and that they you know can have you know confidence and can or confide in them with their personal financial matters 
Excellent. Excellent. I do agree. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, small business owners do, in a, in a sense, they are good at their, 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 you know, moving their products and services, but that part about, you know, what to do with the money, they don't have time to think about it because they are so involved with the day-to-day routines. So here's my, uh, my next question, Greg. What do you see as the biggest challenge with the current state of people's financial planning? Yes. Well, the consensus among many persons with regard to financial planning is, I don't need a financial plan until I encounter a situation requiring a financial plan. <laughs> so in other words, you know, maybe if they're getting their when they need a loan, then they'll worry about, you know, preparing a plan and figuring out the future and how they're going to do this and do that. And it's unfortunately, we know we can't really do that. You know, pre-planning is very important, but understandably, many persons view financial planning similar to creating a budget. Nobody wants to talk about, <laughs> you know, putting putting a budget together or certainly following one. You know, it's not fun. It's not something anyone really looks forward to doing. And at Al Advantage, we do our best to take a relatively unpleasant task. And we know it's unpleasant. No one wants to really, I mean, you know, focus on financial planning. It's just, just not very, you know, it's just not fun. I understand that. So we make it simple and easy for our clients. And similar to a you know, snowflake, if you will, each of our clients are different and require different designs and strategies. And that said, we do not use template style financial planning tools, rather we use fully customizable designs specific to the individual or business. And you know, there's no one size fits all design. So to answer your question, the biggest challenge in financial planning industry uh, is spending enough time with the person to learn about his or her needs and developing the right solutions to help them feel comfortable with a plan they have chosen. And that's our job is to guide them uh, along that path. And I can relate to that. I remember even before when I was working in corporate America, Greg, uh, this guy came over and I won't mention the name of the company, but this guy came to, to our house and met with my wife and I. We had, I think one kid at, at the time, or maybe two kids. And, you know, he didn't really even ask us you know, any questions really about us and what our needs were. He, he basically, you know, flipped out this, this PowerPoint presentation and these really high gloss insurance brochures. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, working in corporate America, I said to myself, man, those insurance brochures must cost a fortune. <laughs> and I said to myself, and I'm going to pay for them. <laughs> it, was, it was very interesting. So my next question is how does Ali Advantage work with clients and potential clients with their financial planning concerns? Yeah, well, first of all, Ali Advantage excuse me, serves the financial planning needs of residents like you'd mentioned earlier in California, Nevada, Texas, Virginia, Florida, Minnesota. And we uh, were able to expand in other states if somebody, uh, a listener, uh, is in another state that would like our services, we just have to make some arrangements to make that work. And our confidential consultations use cloud-based meeting software, so we can do this, you know, virtually. And the initial consultation involves exploring the number one need, uh, challenge, expectation, concern, whatever you want to call it. And certain uh, questions might include, you know, how do you feel about financial planning? 
what previous experience have you had with an advisor or consultant? Do you currently have a plan? If so, do you like the plan you have, or what would the ideal plan look like? And then, so that would be the the first meeting, if you will. It would be more of an exploration, more of a discovery, just to see where you are now, where you want to be, kind of thing. Then the second meeting would take that information, and I work along with the design team to put together、uh, various scenarios. Uh, to、uh, to obtain the desired result. So once they know what it is what our client is looking for, then we work you know, we work、uh, exclusively on you know, on creating a design to make that、uh, result occur.、And、the third meeting、uh, presents the client with the design options best suited to meet their needs and budget. There's no need to talk about anything else if they can't afford something. You know, we know where the budget is. We need to keep it in that line and that realm. And we, but we also have to be able to meet those those objections、uh, or objectives actually, and so we have to. That, that's what the design team is. We have to put all these variables together to make sure it all works.、So、you can have the best plan in the world, but if a person can't afford it, or it doesn't make sense to them, or it doesn't create their their objectives, then that's a, that's a bad plan. <laughs> so and then so after selecting the winning design, the、uh, qualification process begins. In order to determine eligibility, again, once again, what just because a plan sounds good on paper and, they, and this is what they want, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can qualify for that. So that's our job too to make sure that we're able to、uh, try and get them, you know, eligible to to、uh, for that particular product. And we only work with、uh, highly rated financial services companies、uh, because there's a lot of companies out there, but not all of them, you know, in my opinion, are you know, well, anyway, I'm only going to work with the ones. That are you know the, the highly rated, and then we submit all documents using secure encrypted software to keep everything all you know personal information, HIPAA stuff, you know the health the health information, financial information, any other sensitive information is kept、uh, secure.、And、then next we coordinate and schedule any health assessment exams、uh, if applicable. At the client's home, place of business, or potentially at an exam facility. So that's not always necessary. It just depends on the situation.、Uh, but if that is the case, we take we you know take care of、uh, arranging all that. And then if and upon approval by the financial services company, and the process moves toward completion, we explain how the product plan or policy works. And restate the benefits and features of why they, you know, why why they're why we together、uh, selected this particular、uh, product. And then in customer service, it's very important that after not all of this、uh, gets explained when、uh, products or policies,、uh, when people purchase policies of this nature, because、uh, you know it's a it's an initial transaction and. It's not until later does the client realize, oh, that's, I didn't. I thought we were getting something different.、Uh, that's, I didn't realize, you know. So it's very important that all of this gets explained at the beginning. And if it's not the right fit, then we need to know that at the beginning, not you know, five, ten years down the road to realize that it's not the right fit. So customer service is very important. It's very important to communicate with our clients throughout the year as well, and to provide annual reviews at no charge. Just to make sure that everything's on track and, and what they, you know, what they thought they were purchasing is indeed what they are purchasing, and, and that everything's going well, and that enables our clients to make changes、uh, or updates as needed, 
such as, you know, marital changes, you get married, you get divorced, new, new births, increase in income, purchasing a new home. Those are all very important uh, factors that need to be kept in, 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 the, in, uh, in play because as our lives, you know, evolve, our insurance and financial needs evolve as well. Hey, Greg, you hit on a great point, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that. I've heard from many you know, friends and, and colleagues that a lot of times when the insurance product is purchased, a lot of times that's the last time they will, they will hear from this insurance agent or this advisor. And, and, and often people will say, well, I can't get a hold of the advisor, so they end up calling the headquarters company to get help and assistance. And I think that is a poor way to run any company. If you, you know, support a product and you move a product, especially a financial services product, and you don't stand behind it to contact your client, you know, every six months or every year, depending on how you run your business, I don't think that's very professional. I just don't. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I have, uh, I think I have one more question to ask you. Maybe you have mentioned some of this, but... I'm going to ask the question anyway. Well, the first thing I want to know is, do you have any closing comments? And what is the best way for 321 Biz Development listeners to contact you? Yeah, well, it's the transitioning from the construction industry as a general contractor to the financial services industry has many similarities and points of intersection, if you will. So as a contractor, my past client or previous clients put trust in the work that I did, uh, my skill, talent, and expertise delivered, you know, security and gave them peace of mind so they could go to bed at night with no worries or concerns. Because believe me, there's a lot of folks out there that have bad experiences with contractors and, uh, you know, they're going to bed wondering if their house is going to burn down or, if, you know, <laughs> if, you know, what they're going to do because they have to, you know, go after the contractor because something didn't turn out right. So, and it's hard to trust contractors. Heck, there's a lot of contractors I wouldn't even have work on my own house, to be quite honest. So I understand where you know, that trust factor is so important. And even though I'm not in the industry anymore, people are still, of course, calling me and I have to, you know, try to refer the business out, what have you. Uh, but I understand why uh, why it's difficult because you can't even get a contractor really to show up for to do an estimate for you you know <laughs> so it's just that, that trust component is so incredibly important that especially you know in the financial services industry that is a huge component because you're dealing with you know person's money you're dealing with uh, their their livelihood they're dealing with their future so that that I can put those two really go hand in hand together and additionally, the financial services industry also requires a high level of mental maturity and professional ethics, meaning that, you know, the best financial advisor should have the maturity and thoroughness to ask the right questions, to stop talking when appropriate, and most importantly, to listen. <laughs> and similar to going to the doctor, you know, probing questions are important and necessary in order to understand fully where the consumer or client is now and where they ideally want to be in other words if they're sick or injured they want to feel better and the doctor has to know what's you know what happened or you know figure out the the whole course of why they may not be feeling well now so he or she can then prescribe or do something to make them feel better 
And most consumers or clients seem to be happy and comfortable in answering, you know, those types of questions if it's going to, you know, result in them creating, getting, you know, to be where they want to be. And that's why the professional ethics component is important. So consumers and clients feel that uh, AlloVantage is serving their best interests and not, of course, just ours. I want to thank you, Rick, for this podcast uh, platform and the opportunity to share the, my company and the AlloVantage story. And my email, which is the easiest way to contact me is just phone or email. And my email is greg, G-R-E-G, at allivantage.com. Again, that's A-L-L-I-V-A-N-T-A-G-E. And my direct phone number is area code 916-203-9151. And again, that's 916-203-9151, Pacific Standard Time. All right. I want to thank Greg Marshall, CEO of Allivantage, for being a guest on the 321-Biz development podcast and my name is Clarence Rick Napier CEO at 321 BizDev LLC a consulting firm based in Sacramento County California if you want to be a podcast guest I can be reached toll-free at 833-321-3212 or via mobile at 726-999-0999 to learn more about 321 BizDev LLC please visit our website at 321bizdev.com and click the about tab. I want to thank you, Greg. Make it a great day, everybody.